Okay, Boomer is next on WDBX Carbondale. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Oh, I take it very seriously. I've had uh, several mild falls. That's Laura Ray talking with me recently at the Wit and Wisdom Senior Center in West Frankfort. I fell during the summer and Bob Saget died a year ago from a fall. We'll look at those stories plus OK Boomer contributor Bob Smith and his near-death experience after simply banging his head. I did what Bob Saget did the night I hit my head. I went to bed. Then there is the case of a librarian retiring to the library. Because I love to read, I love books, and I always wanted to work in the library, and so I miss it. <laughs> That's Joyce Medcalf, who retired several years ago from SIU's Morris Library. In the news, we'll hear about Alzheimer's, COVID. I know you're sick of hearing about it, but it's still making people sick. And we'll hear about the earned income tax credit. And if we have time, we'll rebroadcast the world's first slideshow on radio. The news is next. From babyboomers.com, the CDC estimates that in 2020, 5.8 million Americans over age 65 had Alzheimer's disease. This is expected to nearly triple by 2060. As the most common type of dementia grows, so does the need for information and resources that support older adults' brain health. By educating themselves on the importance of memory care, whether through preventive screenings or other care offerings, older adults can be better equipped to care for their brains and mitigate cognitive decline. Next week, I'll interview an Alzheimer's patient who knows she has Alzheimer's and is doing something about it. Though memory loss is a well-recognized symptom of Alzheimer's disease, warning signs can include a variety of cognitive challenges. Early signs of Alzheimer's may involve repeating questions or forgetting something you just learned, not knowing the date or your location, and taking more time or having difficulty completing normal daily tasks. Though these warning signs can vary or appear gradually, it's important to talk with your doctor as soon as these symptoms emerge. And many with dementia end up in nursing homes. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the CMS, has announced new actions to reduce the inappropriate use of antipsychotic medications and to bring greater transparency about nursing home citations to families. According to HHS Secretary Xavier Becerra, he says no nursing home resident should be improperly diagnosed with schizophrenia or given an inappropriate antipsychotic. He adds that the agency is taking steps that will help prevent these errors and give families peace of mind. The CMS is conducting targeted, off-site audits to determine whether nursing homes are accurately assessing and coding individuals with schizophrenia diagnosis. Uh, nursing home residents erroneously diagnosed with schizophrenia are at risk of poor care and prescribed inappropriate antipsychotic medications. Antipsychotic medications are especially dangerous among the nursing home population due to their potential devastating side effect, including death. This from a new AARP survey. Many older workers are no longer settling for stressful working conditions 
or fully in-person jobs. The survey covers adults 40 and older. The COVID-19 pandemic has caused a shift in attitudes about work, with more people prioritizing work-life balance and making workplace flexibility as a job prerequisite. Understanding a changing older workforce, an examination of workers ages 40-plus, shows that flexible work hours are now a job requirement for 79% of older workers, while 66% say they would only accept a new job if they were able to work remotely at least some of the time. Most older workers, that's 90%, also say they require a job that provides meaningful work. Carl Ruskinkowski, Vice President of Financial Resilience Programming at AARP, says given the high level of burnout that many older workers experienced during the pandemic, especially those who are caregivers, it should come as no surprise that work-life balance has emerged as not just a priority, but a requirement. Over 53% of those ages 40 to 49 and 36% of all workers age 40 and older are caregivers for an adult, typically a partner or a spouse or parent, and report having to work remotely, change work hours, reduce hours, use paid caregiving leave, or quit their job altogether to provide care in the last five years. From the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging, the Earned Income Tax Credit Program helps to reduce the income tax burden on low-income workers. It can reduce an eligible worker's income liability even below zero, resulting in a refund to the worker. Illinois also adds a state-earned income tax credit based on the federal amount. There are special income rules for disabled veterans and the clergy, so you have to check with the state for that. Now, here are the criteria. Have income from a job, have a social security number, be a U.S. citizen or legal resident alien, have no more than a certain amount of investment income, have income from a job or below certain amounts based on family size. Children may be natural children, grandchildren's, siblings, nieces and nephews, including adopted foster half and step relatives. In addition, uh, children must be younger than the worker or spouse under age 19 or under 24, and a full-time student or permanently and totally disabled, and live with the worker for more than six months of the taxable year. And for those people living in Southern Illinois, here are the free tax assistance sites. One is at Southern Illinois University Carbondale, walk-in only, first come, first serve. That's February 25th. March 4, 11, and the 25th, uh, 9 until 1 o'clock. Or you can call 618-453-1407. And then Save It Tax Prep, offering services in Vienna and Goreville locations. You can call Lynn at 618-973-0978 for an appointment. And if you have additional questions, call the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging at 618-985-8311. That's Tax Prep Health. Now let's go from something routine to something unexpected. Every second of every day, an older adult, 65-plus, suffers a fall in the U.S., making falls the leading cause of injury and death in this age group. One out of four adult older people will fall each year in the United States, making falls a public health concern, particularly among the aging population. About 36 million falls are reported among older adults each year, resulting in more than 32,000 deaths. 
Each year, about 3 million older adults are treated in emergency departments for fall injury. Recently, I attended a class at the West Frankfurt Senior Center called Bingo Size. This is where senior players play bingo and exercise. Not at the same time, though. There is the bingo, and between rounds is the exercise. I talked with two ladies who played that day. My name is Laura Ray. And your name, ma'am? Billy Gray. Okay, Gray. She's Gray, and I'm Ray. Okay, but you're wearing gray, and she's wearing... Purple. 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 Okay. And she's my mother. You talked about falls during uh, the bingo size. Tell me about your fall, because I had a fall, and in this radio program, one of my contributors, uh, he walked into a wall and hit his head. But tell me about your fall experience, because this is happening to a lot of seniors, and a lot of us don't really take it seriously. Oh, I take it very seriously. I've had uh, several mild falls, you know, where I've just tripped or not been aware of my surroundings. Maybe I didn't lift my feet up high enough. Uh, I even fell in the grocery store one day. I had an over-the-front purse I was carrying, so the purse was heavy in the front, and I picked up a large case of water to put it in my grocery cart, and I went down forward on the hard floor at the grocery store. Thankfully, I didn't hurt myself, but I've learned too much weight in the front, maybe not standing straight enough. Keeping my weight balanced is important and just being aware of where I'm at and what I'm doing more so. And that's a message to other seniors. Sure, sure, because it can happen quickly. Now, have you had problems with falls? I did fall twice backwards, and I don't know exactly how it happened. It happens before you know it. You're, you're upright, and then you're not. And I fell once going into the gymnasium to a ball game going up a step, and I don't know if I stepped in a crack or what, but I was down. Glasses flew off, and, but I, I wasn't hurt. I fell backwards on my bottom. <laughs> May I have your age? 91. And your age? 63. And I'm 70. And I will say one other thing. I think classes like this, like what we've just done, and anything else people can do to help their balance and their coordination and their flexibility as they get older is all very beneficial in fall yes. prevention. About a year ago, Bob Saget died from a head injury. Apparently, Saget had fallen in a hotel room, hit his head, then went to bed, and never woke up. The cause of death was internal bleeding in the brain. Saget was also reported to have been suffering from COVID-19. With that in mind, I Zoomed with OK Boomer contributor Bob Smith of The Off-Ramp. We'll hear that in a few minutes. Anyway, I was recovering from a mild case of covid and nursing a dinged rib from a fall. So let's go back to that late summer interview. I researched Bob Saget. Uh, the autopsy indicated that his heart was enlarged and he had 95% blockage in one artery. Wow. The other thing is he had complained the night before that he wasn't feeling very good. He had COVID. Oh, he did. Jeez. Yes. Okay. And I think this was 
you know, uh, perfect storm kind of thing, right? Yeah. And it was not like what I've got. Mm -hmm. I think he probably had, he was very sick. So it wouldn't surprise me if he lost his balance and hurt himself. Even though Saget was, was in bad shape, we're not. Right. Well, I, what I, the Saget thing to me, the haunting part of that is reading about it, how he fell down, hit his head somehow. And then just decided I'm going to go to bed. Apparently, right? Because he went. They found him in bed. I think he just went to bed. Well, that's yeah. what I. That's what I did that night. I mean, I could have had the same result. I could have not woken up just like he didn't wake up. So that's what scared me when I read that. I was like, oh my god, that's wow. I'm so glad I finally, you know, I went in. I'm so glad I did a call to the doctor and I did one of these calls like this because I couldn't get in. It was a Friday afternoon. They said, well, we can. You can see a telemed kind of person, and then that person told me. Shut down the equipment and go right into the emergency room. You know, she could tell she she was asking me questions like, "Are you seeing blurry vision or this or that?" No, but I got all these headaches, and I was telling her about you know, and she goes, "Well, you've got something wrong. You got to go in." So, so I went in to the emergency room, you know, and where you can go in and have somebody see you right away. And the doctor there quickly uh, said, "I'm going to give you an X-ray." And they did an X-ray, and then. Almost immediately after that, they said, we're going to send you down to the hospital two miles down the road because I think you got something wrong and let's see what it is. So I said, okay. So they gave me the certificate. I went down to the hospital, got right in, had a CAT scan, and they said, we'll have the results in about an hour. Okay. My wife and I are going to go shop for groceries. So I was still having these headaches and I didn't feel good. Marcia said, why don't you just sit in the car and listen to the radio or whatever? I'll, I'll go in and get the stuff. So she did. In the meantime, I get a call from them saying, we need you to get back to the hospital right away. We think you're, we can detect some bleeding. It's what we're seeing in the CAT scan. And I said, oh, oh, okay. Well, uh, all right. Well, we'll be done here. We'll take the groceries home and then I'll be right up. No, no, no. Go in there. Tell your wife. Stop right now, grab a hold of the cart, tell her you got to go to the hospital. So that's exactly what I did. I went in there and I said, we got to go now. And my wife doesn't usually apologize for things, but she's apologizing to people as we're walking out with the cart there with groceries in it and everything. I said, we got to go. So we went to the hospital and that's where I was diagnosed with, you've got some kind of a concussion. There's something going on. You've got bleeding in the brain. And then the question started coming, what blood thinner are you on? I'm not on any blood thinner. Yeah, your, your blood is very thin. You must be on some kind of blood thinner. No, I'm not on any blood thinner. What are you taking for this? And then I told him I was having these headaches like 24-7. They grew to that after about an eight-day period. Eight days. You've been. You had that with eight days. Now, how did it start? It just started with a. The, uh, well, first, I was in my office in our home one night, and um, I swung around to do something, and I banged my head into the door frame. That's the only thing I can think of. I, what I'm, Marcia and I remember me saying, "Wow, I haven't hit my head that hard since I broke my nose forty years ago." Um, that was when I was pulling a shenanigan and bang, I banged my nose into a door frame. So anyway, I thought, wow, that's strange. But then I went to bed and then the next day I just had a little tiny headache and then the headaches just started coming and they started lasting longer. And I was taking Sudafed and things like that, thinking it's sinus headaches. Man, I used to get these. I wonder why they're coming back. And then eventually... I was having headaches like 24-7 after about an eight-day period. And finally, I, I called in 
because it was a Friday afternoon. I couldn't see my doctor. So they said, and it was COVID. So there was all kinds of COVID stuff going on. So I did a tele, you know, thing with a doctor on the screen and she told me to go in. So that's where we were. So back to the hospital now. So they saying, what, what did you take? And I said, well, gee, I've been taking ibuprofen. I've been taking aspirin. I've been taking, and I, naproxen. And he's, those are all the worst things you could take. Why? He says, they thin your blood. And basically they were saying, we think your blood is too thin for us to do anything for you right now, because you'd probably bleed to death, you know? So you got to be very, very careful when you have a head injury, not to try to self-medicate, self-diagnose. You don't know what you're doing, you know? From this point on, that doctor told me, all you should ever take is acetaminophen, Tylenol, nothing else. Don't take any of these other things. It's bad for you as a person. It's just not going to work right. So um, eventually uh, they took me and put me in an ambulance. And uh, because the hospital where they do, they said, we're going to have to do some brain surgery and go in and basically uh, open up your head to relieve the pressure because you got too much pressure. And that's why you're getting all these headaches. But the Hospital in Milwaukee, in my healthcare network, St. Luke's Hospital, uh, downtown Milwaukee, only 20 miles away, their um, ICU was full of COVID patients, just totally packed, couldn't even get in there. So they had to put me in an ambulance, drive me down through downtown Milwaukee in a Friday afternoon rush hour traffic to go to a hospital 50 miles away on the way to Madison, Wisconsin. And then they got there overnight and they they looked at me overnight and they, and the doctor said, I think we can just watch this for a little while and begin, and get you off of this NSAID drugs, NSAID drugs. That's what the aspirin and this uh, ibuprofen and stuff is. And uh, then let's check it out in another couple of weeks. So I went back and a few weeks later and he says, this isn't getting any better. Let's do it. We're going to do it. And so then on the 20th of September, 2022, I went in and they did the brain surgery. They opened up my noggin, lifted a little part of the skull out, and then the pressure came out. And uh, then by afternoon, the next day, I was on my way home. I mean, things were very fast there, too, because there were COVID patients on both sides of the uh, ICU there, too. But yeah, but what I learned from that, especially after watching the Bob Saget thing go afterwards, was, oh, my God, that could have been me. I did what Bob Saget did the night I hit my head. I went to bed. And that's probably the worst thing you can do uh, because I could have passed away. I could have died, you know. Based on this near-death experience, how has this changed your attitude about living? Well, it's always, I think, a second chance is how you feel. I had uh, my first second chance about um, 25 years ago when I uh, had went into anaphylactic shock during a bee sting, bee stings, and I almost died. And after that, I thought, wow, I've got a new lease on life. And I felt the same way about this. It was like, okay, um, let's just concentrate on enjoying life from this point on. I'm 70 years old. I was doing a lot of voice work and stuff. And I thought, I like doing that. I like doing that work. But let's try to enjoy, smell the roses a little more. Spend more time with Marsha. Not all the time in the studio or doing my work. And so, you know, it really makes a difference if you think about it. You know, some people don't. Some people rush right back into their jobs or whatever. And you you could be ended up, you could be on the same course to do the same thing you did before. You know, you could ruin your health. Bob Smith and I work together on WSIU Radio and TV and WRAJ Radio and Anna. And 
Speak of the devil. Ah, there's nothing I like better than some good trivia for OK Boomer. So we've got some for you today, Bob, and here we go. How did elevators turn society and real estate markets upside down? And what year is it right now in Ethiopia? Hmm. <laughs> not not uh, not what we think it is. I maybe. Okay. So, Marsha. <laughs> yes. What did elevators do to society? How did they turn society and real estate upside down? Well, obviously, it went vertical after that. It allowed people to uh, expand upward instead of sideways. So that changed everything. Well, here's what it is, Marcia. Before elevators, the upper floors were cheaper to rent than the ground floors. They weren't thought of as valuable in business buildings and in apartment buildings. Now, in business buildings, the upper floors were used for storage rooms and custodial services. And before the elevator, apartment buildings in New York City were limited to six stories because people wouldn't walk any higher than yeah, that. Yeah, the upper floors were used for laundry rooms, servants' quarters, or attic apartments for the poor. Really? That's how people thought of upper floors of buildings. Even the Dakota, which is the first luxury apartment building in New York City. That's where John Lennon lived? That's right. All of the original wealthy people lived at the ground floor, and the upper floors were for servants' quarters. No kidding. What year did the elevator? The first passenger elevators in an office building were in 1870, and that started to reorganize the way buildings were thought of. But it took almost 50 years before things changed in residential buildings. In 1922, developer Emery Roth constructed twin 15-story buildings, Myron Arms and Jerome Palace, at Broadway and 82nd, and he designed top-floor apartments with terraces on all sides, and people could have gardens up there, and he introduced the word penthouse to real estate. That's when the upper floors of buildings began to be valued more than the lower floors. And they used elevators actually to lure the wealthy people because they said, you can have a private elevator to your mansion in the the sky. sky. Yeah, And your view is better, obviously. Yes, and you won't have to deal with the hoi polloi. Uh They'll have separate elevators. (laughs) This is from a book that came out recently called Lifted, A Cultural History of the Elevator by Andreas Bernard, New York University Press. Got a lot of interesting facts in it. I'm sure I'll be hearing about them Day and night. Okay, Marcia, what famous world ruler loved bricklaying? In fact, so much so that until his death, he was a dues-paying member of a bricklayer's union. <laughs> this is a World War II leader. Uh, okay, say the opening again. What famous world leader uh-huh. loved bricklaying? Bricklaying. So much so that until his death, he was a dues-paying member of a bricklayer's union. Uh, world War II. Someone you... Admire. I would say Winston then. Winston Churchill, that's right. (laughs) From 1928 until his death in the 1960s, he was a dues-paying member of the Amalgamated Union of Building Trades Workers. (laughs) And he wasn't just a bricklayer on paper. He personally built a swimming pool and a treehouse out of bricks for his children at Chartwell, his estate. Well, see, now that's my kind of guy. He's got both sides of his brain going there. (laughs) I mean, you know? So you got prime minister and bricklayer. Very charming. Okay, Bob, where are the world's oldest mummies located? Well, I would assume that they're in Egypt, but since you're asking the question, obviously (laughs) they aren't. That's correct. Okay, I will then guess one of the oldest civilizations, the Sumerian civilization, which was in what is now Iraq, that area there. Yeah, that's a good good deduction. Good guess, and I'm right, huh? Yeah, no. Oh. 
Egypt may be home to the world's most famous mummies, but not the world's oldest. That distinction belongs to Chile. Oh, really? In yeah. South America? Yeah. Okay. Mummified remains there predate their Egyptian counterparts by more than 2,000 years. Wow. Yeah. Known as the Chincharo mummies. These artificially preserved hunter-gatherers were first discovered just over a century ago in the Atacama Desert, the driest non-polar desert in the world. Hmm, okay. And their recent discovery is explained by the fact that they weren't buried in ostentatious pyramids. No, no. After <laughs> <laughs> Not for these guys. But rather after being skinned and refurbished with natural materials. Skinned and refurbished? Yeah, well, you're a mummy, honey. Oh, dear. They're wrapped in reeds and placed in shallow, modest graves. It's estimated that the oldest uh, mummies there date back a full 7,000 years. That is amazing. And again, in an arid condition, in in a desert area. That's right. So that's it. That's the answer. All right. Here's another question about a famous person not known for what you think he was. Okay. Name this man. He was a biblical scholar, a professor of Oriental and Greek literature, and a compiler of a Greek and Hebrew lexicon. But he is remembered for a simple, easily remembered rhyme. Who was that person? Do I know this person? You've heard his name. I, okay. You hear his creation every Christmas. Okay. So was it Silent Night, Holy Night no. kind of thing? Uh, this is a poem. Oh, was it, uh, was it uh, Charles Dickens? No. Okay, I don't know. Clement Moore, Clark Clement oh, Moore. Oh, yeah, the, uh, yes, up on the rooftop. Yeah, the night before Christmas yes. or a visit from St. Nicholas. Yes. He lived from 1779 to 1863. And I guess this is why sometimes people are a little, you know, upset that they are not remembered for what they think are their greatest. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Their greatest creations. Yeah. This guy was a biblical scholar, professor of Oriental and Greek literature, and a compiler of a Greek and Hebrew dictionary, essentially. Yeah. But he's remembered for that simple verse he wrote for his children. Yeah, it's uh, it drives people nuts like uh, Conan Doyle. He He's no, remembered always for Sherlock Holmes, and he hated that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he wrote, you know, what became Jurassic Park and all that. Well, the Lost World was the name of the Jurassic Park. That's correct. Yeah. Why do we call an unstable person a basket case? A basket case. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good question. Because oh, he had to carry him out in a basket. Why would that be? I don't know. I don't uh, know where it come from. Yeah, it comes from World War One. Oh. Uh, yeah. And if uh, shell-shocked or badly maimed, they couldn't contain the soldiers in a, on a stretcher. They had to take him out in a basket. Oh, dear. Yeah, it's very sad. And so, anyway, that began the term basket case, and it... Uh, was cruelly applied to anyone with an impairment, either physical or mental. Well, here's a different one, okay? Okay. I'm just going to give you a... What was the original napkin, Bob? The original napkin? Yes. Manners the butler. Remember that guy? Yeah. Uh, Let's see. That was a character in Kleenex commercials. What was the original napkin? Yeah. What did people use for napkins? I think it was part of their clothing, wasn't it? No. 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 Okay. Well, I have a feeling back way back... Sleeves? I mean, what was it? Yeah, I'm sure certain periods of time, but the original purpose for a tablecloth was for wiping the diner's fingers and hands oh, after eating. Is it really? Yeah. That was the original use for a tablecloth. It's something to wipe yourself up with. That's what kids do when they're real little. Yeah. <laughs> kids always do that. Okay. I got one thing to uh, end with. All right. That's fun. In Arizona, there's a town called Y. How did it get its name? And 
guess what? It lost its meaning. <laughs> oh, <laughs> was did... it was it at the end of a road shaped like a Y? That's exactly what it was. And then the highway came through and straightened out that road, and now it's no longer Y. Originally, it was called Y, like the letter Y in the alphabet, because it was the Y-shaped intersection of highways 85 and 86, and for years, the town was simply known as the Y, uh-huh. but they changed the intersection from a Y to a T-shaped intersection oh. for safety reasons. <laughs> so it totally lost its meaning, yeah. but it's still called Y. Y, what, Arizona. What if it were one of those roundabouts? And <laughs> That'd be the O. The O. <laughs> o is next to Y. Okay, I'm going to finish up with a quote from Socrates, hmm. 400 BCE. Okay. All right. Ancient wisdom. Ancient wisdom. Children today are tyrants. They contradict their parents, they (laughs) gobble their food, and tyrannize their teacher. I despair for the future. (laughs) (laughs) The more things change, the more they're the same. Yeah, nothing ever changes. Wow, that's 400 (laughs) B.C. (laughs) So there's just no way to fix this problem, apparently. We just have to live with it. Oh, that's great. All right. That's trivia for OK Boomer from Bob and Marcia Smith. Back to you, Robert P. Rickman. Thank you, Robert A. Smith. And I know for a fact that I was an absolute brat when I was a kid. In fact, I still am. Okay, Boomer. Well, you don't have to agree so fast, kid. And now it's time to lose some weight without being hungry. The AARP Minute is right now. If you're trying to lose weight without being hungry, fill up on non-starchy vegetables, such as broccoli or summer squash. They are high in vitamins and minerals and rich in fiber, which can help you feel fuller longer. When it comes to fruits, aim for berries, kiwi, and grapefruit, which are high in fiber and won't boost your blood sugar as much. Experts suggest focusing less on the number of calories in your meal and more on the overall quality of your diet. Many people grapple with changes in their lives at midlife and beyond. Shifting your perspective from a midlife crisis to a time of reflection may help you get clarity on what you want from life. It can help to put goal dates on the calendar or set aside time each day to think deeply about your future. If you need guidance during this confusing time, a life coach may be able to help. Now, the lady was talking about the healthy benefits of broccoli. Well, I don't like broccoli, And neither did President George Bush, the first President Bush. In fact, he held this news conference about broccoli in 1990. There are truckloads of broccoli at this very minute descending on Washington. My family is divided. I do not like broccoli. And I haven't liked it since I was a little kid. And my mother made me eat it. And I'm President of the United States. And I'm not going to eat any more broccoli. Now... But Bart, wait a minute for the broccoli vote out there. Barbara loves broccoli. She's tried to make me eat it. She eats it all the time herself. So she can go out and meet the caravan of broccoli that's coming in from Washington outside. Thank you. What about cauliflower? Former President Bush's position on broccoli. We are now in the WDBX Convention and Visitor Center, standing by and holding for the two Southern Illinois wonders, Rob and Bob, who will sing about checking in with the boss. You see, Bob is calling in well. So, Bob, you went to work today, and I'm a little bit, well, upset because I didn't see you at work, and I was at work, and I had to take up the slack for you, man, and i just like to know... 
what was the deal? You done ranting? Pretty much, but... Okay, I'll... How about... Yeah, okay, tell me. I, okay. I hit the clover leaf and started to merge. I know the spot. All of a sudden, I felt the urge. What urge? Took the off-ramp, barren right. I turned the corner and I made the light. Yeah, well, back down Main Street to my drive. Uh-huh. Felt so good to be alive. Okay. I grabbed the phone in the downstairs hall. I found the number and I made the call. Yeah, I told the boss I'm feeling fine. Plenty of sleep and plenty of time. Well, what do you mean? He didn't get it. I could tell. I had to say I'm calling in well, calling in well. I'm not sick. I ain't broke down. This ain't no trick. No alibis, lies, or story to tell. Feeling fine and I'm calling in well. You want to hear more? Oh, yeah, I'd love to hear what uh, happened today. I took a day to enjoy life. I can dig it. Spend some time with the kids and the wife. Good deal. Called the schoolhouse before the last bell. Said, teacher, my kids are calling in well. Calling in well. I'm not sick. I ain't broke down. This ain't no trick. No alibis, lies, or story to tell. Feeling fine and I'm calling in well. So, uh, what'd you do then? Just out of curiosity. Oh, you want to hear more? Yeah. We took a drive. We ate some lunch. Uh-huh. Went to the park and laughed a bunch. <laughs> Walked in the woods, enjoyed the smell. There ain't nothing better than calling in well, calling in well. I'm not sick. I ain't broke down. This ain't no trick. No alibis, lies, or story to tell. Feeling fine and I'm calling in well, calling in well. I'm not sick. I ain't broke down. This ain't no trick. No alibis, lies, or story to tell. Feeling fine and I'm calling in well. Hey, hey, everybody, it's the White Raven from the Hot, Hot, Hot Louisiana Gumbo Pot, right here on WDBX, Sundays, 12 to 2. Join me and all the Gumbo Pot heads, where I'll be bringing you all the best music from Louisiana, New Orleans, the Bayou, with a little bit of Delta Blues thrown in for good measure. So all you swamp rats, grab your Zydeco shoes, meet me in the Gumbo Pot at high noon. We always pass a good time, Chef. Peace, love, and Zydeco. Aye! It's not a political rant about which party or politician is better or worse, nor as a recommendation to join this or that ideological tribe. Instead, this program gives listeners the tools to think more critically and protect their mental health in a time of great chaos and change. Join me, Robert DeFilippis, for my program, Think Again, Please, Wednesday mornings at 8 o'clock on WDBX. 
91.1 FM, Carbondale, Illinois. This hour of programming is brought to you by Midwest Peculiar. Midwest Peculiar is a pop-up space of antique, vintage furniture and objects scouted in the Midwest with interesting and unusual past lives. Where else can a carnival punk ball toss figure, a bingo king bingo machine, a whirligig water wheel, and a prisoner-built matchstick dresser easily coexist other than at Midwest Peculiar? The pop-up is open Fridays and Saturdays from 10 to 4 and by appointment at 102 North Front Street in Cobden on the elevated sidewalk just south of Fuzzies. Find Midwest Peculiar on Facebook and Instagram or call Tracy at 312-550-0114. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid. Back to Okay, Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman. Have you heard of the busman's holiday? You know, when the driver... Uh, drives buses on his or her vacation? Well, how about the librarian's retirement? We go next to Joyce Medcalf. Okay, Joyce, you worked at Morris Library as a civil service uh, support staffer. You retired, and what are you doing now? Um, I'm full-time taking care of my grandkids, and also while they're in school, I volunteer at the public library sometimes, every, every week. Carbondale Public Library. Why have you gone from retiring from a library to working part-time? You're, you're not even employed. No, you're I'm not even volunteer, yeah. yeah, you're a volunteer at the library. Why would you do that uh, rather than something else? Because I love to read. I love books. And I always wanted to work in a library. And so I miss it. <laughs> it makes me feel at, like, I guess, not really normal. I mean, I feel normal, but I don't know how to say it. Uh, comfortable, I guess, might be the right word. Yes, I'm comfortable in libraries, too. I do a lot of work in them, including the Carbondale Library. What do you do at the Carbondale Library? Currently, I'm just doing something called shelf reading, which is you go book by book and put the books in order and straighten them up, pull them back towards the front of the shelf, tighten up the things if they're slanted and stuff. But in the past, I've pulled books for um, interlibrary loan. I have shelved books, and then I went through the... CD collection one time and had to check and make sure all the CDs were in each case. So it just depends on what what needs doing at the library as to what they have me do. What you're doing is work that's extremely meticulous Mm -hmm. in that you have to know the alphabet thoroughly, pay close attention. The Dewey Decimal System, I first started out um, this last, this fall when I started back in, um, I first started out in juvenile nonfiction. So you have to know the Dewey Decimal System, which is sometimes hard for some people that aren't familiar with it. I'm not that familiar with it, and I have problems finding things occasionally at the library. That's why you go ask a librarian. Um, and that's one thing I found. Uh, sometimes people ask me to help them find something. And depending on what it is, sometimes I can help them. But I'm there to do a different job. So I usually try to, if it's something simple, I can take them over and show them where it is. But if it needs a little bit more complicated stuff, then I refer them to a librarian. Well, this, of course, is helping your mind, particularly working on this detailed work. Have you noticed any difference between your thinking from when you retired? And I assume you weren't working at the uh, Carbondale Library as a volunteer. Did you spend some time without doing this type of work? Um, Yes, when I was living out in Pittsburgh, I moved there to help take care of my grandkids at first. I was in the library almost every day with the grandkids um, for programs that they had, but I wasn't doing any work. I was just there as a patron. Have you noticed um, any change in your thinking from that time and the time where you started working back at the library? Yeah, I think I have less. I'm older now. I'm 68, so one of the things I have trouble with sometimes is I use the wrong word. 
and I think I'm probably doing that a little less since I am going there every week now, but, but I still do it. <laughs> have you had COVID? Yes, I have. Okay, well, um, from what I've learned, uh, it could be brain fog and it could be um, long-term COVID that you have. And from what I've learned, it might take as long as a year before the symptoms completely diminish. Yeah, I hadn't heard that till just recently, and uh, that's kind of surprising. Um, I've always been kind of anti-Alzheimer's. I had an aunt, but she was my mom's half-sister that uh, died of Alzheimer's. So I like to do crossword puzzles, jigsaw puzzles, and of course I love to read. So I try to keep my mind active. Um, I call my crossword puzzles my anti-Alzheimer's. <laughs> Well, I've seen um, people uh, play with these puzzles in senior citizen centers after lunch. Yes, they keep some on the table number one, the big long, the longest table there in our senior citizens here in Carbondale. And uh, I started subscribing to the newspaper because there was a woman who has a great big it's a newsprint and it's got a bunch of puzzles in it. It's got word jumbles, which I also like. and. Uh, a lot of crosswords um, and some others got some Sudoku and Boggle and different things. And so I get the newspaper now on Sundays and Wednesdays because I contacted the paper to find out what days they publish it, which is on the weekends. And it's only, it, they said it was once a month, but I've had two or three months go by sometimes and not get one. <laughs> you sound like you think like a librarian, very detailed. Yes. Yeah, that was one of the advantages of working in a library. Um, the last, last eight or nine years I was in uh, Morris Library because I started at Morris Library and I spent 10 years working in the Law Library. And then I came back to Morris Library all because of promotions. And I worked in government documents, which requires a great deal of detail. Um, I was doing something called um, copy catalog, which means you have to go look up the record and you have to look at each line, which those are numbered too, different than the Dewey Decimal System, and make sure that all the information that you have on the document matches what's been cataloged. And so then I would have to flag it and it would go to the cataloging department if it was incorrect. Um, and the Dewey Decimal System has one way of looking at numbers, but the uh, government documents are just chronological. But in Dewey Decimal, everything that's gonna be 0.1999 won't be until there's anything number two. But in government documents, once you get to 199, your next number is 200. So it goes just like you would count, whereas the Dewey Decimal System counts by the decimal. That's why I memorize the sections of the library, <laughs> where I want to go, and then I go, and I look around for the book. <laughs> it's hard, yeah. It, now, now, we've got the mental exercises under control in your case. What about physically? We took a walk together earlier for about, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes. Do you uh, take a lot of walks? Yes, walking is my second favorite hobby after reading. Um, so I like to walk 30 minutes every day if I can. I haven't reached that goal yet. Um, my minimum is three days a week, preferably four or five, but I'm hoping eventually to get to where seven days a week I get at least a 30 minute walk in. Um, I got a shortened walk in the day it started raining. I only walked 20 minutes that day. <laughs> the rain was getting too heavy, I had to quit. Now, have you seen people here at this senior center in Carbondale, without giving names or anything, who are doing it, handling retirement in a different way? You're exercising, you're working part-time at a library, using your mind. Are there some people who spend, from what they've told you, much of their time watching television? Um, some of them do. Some of the women mostly seem to go home and do a lot of housework. Um, are constantly spring cleaning. Um, I hate housework, so that's not, not for me. Um, 
but um, there's a couple that I see walking in my neighborhood, and they must walk. I see them walking in the morning. I see them walking in the afternoon. I see them walking in the evening. I'm guessing they must walk several several times a day. And I walk by myself. I think it helps to walk with somebody. I think it keeps you more motivated to get out and do it. Well, I'm talking about the people who are doing it wrong. Yeah, well, so there's another person that sits at the table that I sit at that tends to uh, talk about, mostly he talks about watching TV, but he is disabled. He has difficulty walking. Um, but he still could be using his mind, and he doesn't talk about that much. And I have noticed last week, um, he was, or no, earlier this week, he was reading the menu. We keep a menu on our table, and he was saying that we were having ham and beans the next day, but in fact we were having uh, beef and broccoli the next day because he was looking at the previous week and not the current week. And I kept thinking, because I keep a, a copy of the menu at home and kind of have in my head what's coming up that week. And I thought that sounded wrong, but I didn't want to question him and hurt his feelings. So once he left, I pulled that menu out and looked. And sure enough, he was a week ahead of it. He was looking at the same day, but the next week. I sympathize with the guy because I was in West Frankfurt recently playing bingo. And I never played bingo since I was a kid. And I, play, I, I yelled, bingo! And they looked at it and they said, no, that's not bingo. <laughs> so I forgot how to play bingo. Yeah, I can see if you haven't done something in a long time, it's easy to forget. Even a bicycle, I broke my leg seriously because I hadn't been on a bicycle in years. Um, and I got going too fast down a hill and crashed and burned. Um, so, yeah, it, I mean, just because you know how to do it, especially something that involves some detail, it's not going to come right back to you. You're going to have to spend a little time doing it first. And I also had brain fog. Uh, I had COVID and the brain fog has been decreasing. So has the lack of energy. But there are some days where I, I would have problems. I can't even think of it now. <laughs> I mean, you're sitting there, you're not able to think very well. I had that difficulty um, right afterwards, and I had the exhaustion. I just could not keep, I like, I tried to sit down and do my crossword puzzles, and I'd fall asleep. Um, but what motivated me is I had a vacation in Florida, and all of my family, my grandson's goal was to walk 25,000 steps every day. Well, my first day, I fell and bent three toes backwards, and so it was difficult to walk, but I walked 16,000 steps that day. And so my goal became to do at least 10,000. And the only day I only did 9,000 was when we stopped to see my sister. Um, and then, of course, when we were in the car, I couldn't walk. So <laughs> those days were definitely less than 10,000. But I think that helped get me through the fatigue, all that walking, because I was more motivated, too, when I came back to get it done every day. Plus, we had a family member who was in serious shape and almost lost his leg. And um, my daughter, I said, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And she said, get out and walk every day so this doesn't happen to you. Good. Now, that's a good ending. Do you have anything else to add? Mm, stay busy. Uh, there's, I've done a lot of reading, and so one of the things I know um, that they found a lot with older people is to be socially active, to be physically active, to be mentally active, which is, again, why if I can't find anything else to do, I do my crossword puzzle. Reading all my life, if I had to go anywhere, I always had a book with me. Now I keep crosswords with me because they're easier to transport. But like when I would go to Bursar in college, you'd, so you used to have to wait in line to get your check for that semester. So I would pack a lunch and take one of my textbooks with me and sit there and read while I was in line. So everything basically in moderation that's advised. So coffee in moderation. Um, they always say red wine is good, but in moderation, which is really two glasses for a man and one for a woman. Um, the eating healthy, I'm still working on, um, <laughs> but that's another one is to eat healthy. Thanks, Joyce. 
And now, ladies and gentlemen, we switch to a press conference with the First Lady of the United States, Lady Bird Johnson? I'm Alan Robin, and I was sitting here with my partner, Mr. Earl Dowd. Good evening. And also with Mr. Westbrook Van Voorhees, Mr. John St. Ledger, and Mr. John Cameron Swayze. And the five of us are going to conduct a series of simulated press conferences. We've taken the actual recorded voices of the president and other prominent political people, and we've put their answers with questions entirely of our own making. Well, why did we ever do a thing like that? Well, I don't know, but I think it sounds much more interesting this way. As the First Lady of the Land, we realize your time is limited, and therefore we're grateful for the opportunity to take this tour of the White House with you. It's a great pleasure to have all of you here today. <laughs> we thank you. Is there any particular place where you'd like us to start? I thought you all might begin your tour here. Uh, the White House is an enormous building. How large a staff do you have to do the housework here? I mean, who actually keeps this place clean for you? The wives of senators. <laughs> oh, is this the president's office? Talking whispers in tiptoe. Dr. J. Willis Hurst. Now, where are we now, madam? I think I recognize this. This, I believe, is the blue room? No. Well, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I can't help but notice how many rare and valuable works of art are actually here in this one room. It's been a wonderful addition. A silver coffee urn that belonged to um, the first president to inhabit this house, John Adams. Is that this piece right here? I... I'm sorry, was that the coffee urn? No. Thank goodness, I was afraid it might have been. What was it? That wonderful and, and enormously valuable bust. <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's all right. <laughs> this is a lovely hallway. I think it is it's one of the most beautiful in the White House. This is an interesting bedroom. Is this the bedroom where you and the president sleep? Yes. War was declared twice in this room. <laughs> One thing I've noticed, the walls are covered with fine paintings, but why, why do all these great masterpieces have mustaches penciled onto them? Could you say no to the president? Uh, this is one of the newer rooms in the White House, isn't it? No. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> No one uh, knows your husband as you do, madam. Uh, how would you best describe him? The brainiest, most devoted, most hardworking. Well, that's a very good description of your husband. Yes, I can hear him saying it right now. <laughs> Are those your dogs out there? 
the beagles. Now found with the trees. Yeah, they're wonderful dogs. They must give you a great deal of pleasure. You know one looks as though she might be about ready to have pups. Is that possible? I can tell you, but that's just a real personal question. <laughs> you used to have quite a couple of dogs here when you first moved into the White House. Isn't that so? There used to be uh, 20 or more. Now they're only about four. Well, I understand that they were Great Danes, and you got rid of them because they weren't housebroken. Yes, the children used to walk on stilts up and down the hall. <laughs> This room that we're coming into now is, I believe, the James Madison guest room? Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt guest room, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I understand this is the reading room where your husband comes to relax after a busy day downstairs in his office. I think the answer is yes. We know your husband to be a very well-dressed man. Would you tell us what he wears when he's just lounging around the White House? No. <laughs> we seem to be back at the main entrance. We'd like to thank you for being so patient with us. I must say I loved it. One uh, final question. I can't help but look around this house and feel the aura of history. The history does not stop. Exactly. And knowing that you are a great student of this nation's history, I wonder if you'd recall for us the actual words which the Indians spoke as they greeted Columbus on his arrival at our shores. Welcome to the LBJ Ranch. <laughs> I remember Lady Bird Johnson, a class act. Another class act was Bobby Darren, and Roger Ramjet plays one of Darren's hit records now. Okay, the first song you think of when I say Bobby Darren is probably Mac the Knife. It's his biggest hit by far, but a year earlier, this song made it into the top ten. It's not one I remember from back then, but I've since heard it as an oldie. It was one of nine songs he had that made the top ten. His real name is Robert Casado. The name Darren comes from a sign he saw at a Chinese restaurant. The sign actually said Mandarin, but the first three letters were burned out, and that's how he picked the name Darren for his stage name. Bobby Darren kept making records through the 60s, but died young at the age of 37 following heart surgery. Queen of the Hop references several other popular songs of the time period. There's Peggy Sue, Miss Molly, and Mary Lou. The song mentions watching Bandstand, a reference to Dick Clark's American Bandstand TV program, and the chorus mentions Sweet Little Sixteen. The song would probably be up for a lot of criticism if it were released today. A 22-year-old singer who sings about Sweet Little Sixteen? People would say it's creepy. Baloney, I say. It's just a song, folks. R-R-P. Here's Bobby Darren, Queen of the Hop. Well, that's my queen. Well, that's my queen. 
thanks to Joyce Medcalf, Bob Smith, Roger Ramjet, Laura Ray, and her mother, Billy Gray, and former President George W. Bush. That's OK Boomer for today. I'm Robert Rickman. Have a good rest of the week. <laughs>